Warning, the Catholic Man Show contains high levels of manliness. It's simple, really. You either want to grow in virtue and holiness, or you want to be a sissy whiny baby. If you choose to move forward, grab your whiskey glass, because the Catholic Man Show is starting right now. And welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles to my left, out here with about 40 of our closest friends at Clear Creek Monastery in beautiful Holbert, Oklahoma. I have a special guest this evening for everybody. Uh, Dave, why don't I let you introduce our guest? Okay, so our guest is Father Brother... Father Nesbitt. brother, yes. he's a father and a brother, and a brother. So you're like a f- f- brother. <laughs> yes, for brother Nesbit. So uh, some of my cousins call me father, brother, cousin Rob. <laughs> but uh, so Rob. every monk makes his vows, and he's a brother in that community. But then some are named priests. So I happen to be one of those. So father. Nesbit is what I usually go by. I have a, a brother-in-law who, to my children, is Uncle Father Sean. So I can I kind of get it. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but you were ordained by uh, Cardinal Raymond Burke. Is that correct? Correct. What? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. I we, was going to say I want to be ordained by him, but it's like, well, no, I can't do that. So. <laughs> You're already married, so right? Yeah. Work, yeah. I'm very happily. In my vocation, yeah. <laughs> yes, good. Yeah, we, uh, as a monastery, um, we are independent of the diocese. We're not under the local bishop. So we just invite prelates who uh, come, who would want to come and ordain us. So that's just kind of a... We've had Bishop Conley. Bishop Slattery, the former bishop, has done many ordinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, bishop Coakley, Archbishop of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, and Cardinal Burke. So. Mm-hmm. Very and, cool. And what, what year was that? Two thousand and. 16. Okay. Okay, and we're out here at Clear Creek Abbey. Mm-hmm. I don't know, did we say that? Yes. Okay. Yes. So here we are, Father Father Nesbitt. Is, should I, what should we call you, father or brother? Whatever you want. I knew you were going to say that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is our second annual Catholic Man Show campout. That's, what, that's where we're, mm-hmm. what we're doing right mm-hmm. now. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the Catholic Man Show, we do three things every episode. We open, review, and enjoy a manly beverage. We highlight a man gear, and we have a manly discussion. Uh, this evening, we had a little bit of a mishap. Or actually, l- last night, we had a little bit of a mishap. We had the opportunity to try Clear Creek Saison uh, by Broken Arrow Brewing. However, uh, Andrew was was very very kind to, to give that to us. However, unfortunately, the CO two um, did something, not work. Something was wrong, and it, uh, and it, leaked. it leaked overnight. So we did not have the opportunity to have it on the show. Uh, but Joe was kind enough to uh, bring it up to us. Uh, we had a little bit. We had got a chance to taste it a little bit, but um, it was very good. Yes, yeah, so I wish we had some. For I'm gonna this go evening, have some but, more eventually. Uh, so we have a plan B. Uh, men, you're always you're supposed to have like you know be yeah, prepared. Be prepared. Um, and so we have it. We, we, luckily, don't don't worry. We have a plan B. Um, you want to break it in? You want to break it open? Yes. So we're we're about to open Quiet Man. It's an Irish whiskey. Um, I have never had it, but I've heard I've heard about it, and I've heard many good things. 
and I'm like a big John Wayne fan. It's kind of about you know the show. Oh yeah, yeah I'll get. No, he's he's doing that for him. He's not doing it for yeah. Uh, the the <laughs> the let. Father, each each uh, each segment we try to highlight virtue. We try yes. to ho- highlight a specific virtue. With this being the quiet man, um, th- the obvious virtue that we could talk about is silence. Yeah. And I think you know a thing or two about silence, um, being out here at Clear Creek. Yes. Uh, so let's cheers, and then I'd like you to maybe give a reflection on on a silence. Sure. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers to Jesus. You bensium Yesu. So, uh, do you know what that means? Did I say that right? What is e- in Latin? Eubensium Jesu. Eubensium Jesu. Yeah, I think it means cheers to Jesus. <laughs> Kinda. I haven't heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Google lied to me. <laughs> lied to. <laughs> yes, that's not how I would say it. How would you say it? Mm, I guess you'd say. I don't know. We we don't often cheers in Latin in the monastery, so <laughs> I have to confess my ignorance. Um, probably something along the European lines of like salutem, salutem, okay, octo tibi or something like that. Okay, okay, I'll look into that. Yes. So the virtue of silence. Yes. Uh, you you're, so you're you're a choir monk, not a lay monk, as we yes. kind of discussed. Talk a little bit about how the virtue of silence plays a role in your life. Yes, St. Benedict wrote a chapter on silence, De Taciturnitate, and uh, all the Desert Fathers and monks have recognized his importance for the life of prayer that a monk tries to live. He separates himself from the world uh, in order to draw closer to God, and that separation isn't going to help you very much if you're always talking and um, going through all these thoughts and... um, not focused on the one thing necessary. So uh, we have definite rules that help us attain that silence. Um, there's a grand silence from after Compline. Compline's about 8.35 uh, until the next morning at Prime, which is also about 8.30. So that whole night, there's no talking except for an emergency or sometimes guests arrive after that hour and you have to show them the room. Then throughout the day, we try to limit our speech to just necessary matters about work or study or um, when, of course, you're seeing your father abbot or spiritual director or confessor. Um, And then after lunch is when we have a time for speaking, for recreation. We just, you know, gather together and talk and walk around. So that can be half an hour, 45 minutes on Sunday. It's an hour. On Thursdays, we take a longer walk around our property or outside our property for, you know, maybe like three hours. Hmm. Um, so in that way, you're just kind of disciplining that uh, desire to always be going out of yourself and expressing yourself um, so that you can turn inward and uh, to where God dwells. I always had this question. Obviously, the the silence is, is e- or not, maybe not easy, but you... you uh, exercise it all the time. So when you when you come in contact with guys who are from the outside world, do we just seem super loud and obnoxious? I would feel like that. I would. You probably, can say yes. You can, you can say totally yes. Say yes. Well, I don't see it that way. Sometimes there are guests who are like that, but uh, they often easily fall into line. You know, there's 50 men in black habits standing there silently. So. Um, 
they're usually not going to be too rambunctious where we meet them in the refectory during our meal or um, in the hallways. So it's usually not a problem. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been here at Clear Creek? I've been here since 2007, so about 11 years. Do you remember when you first got here and, you know, first having to immerse yourself in this life of silence? Was it difficult? Um, what, you know, what were the kind of immediate benefits that you saw change in your life? Um, I guess that ability to uh, focus on your reading, the Lectio Divina, uh, in the morning, reading scripture and life of prayer. But you also find out that um, withdrawing from the world and its distractions and its conversations, that there's a lot of interior noise, which you might not notice in the world. So then you have, you know, your memories or... um, hopes, regrets, things like that are more present until you're, I guess, grow more in virtue and uh, instability in that calling of being a monk. Um, So often it's kind of, yeah, a difficult experience to enter into that silence. How long do you think, how long do you think it would take, how long did it take you to grow and strengthen those, you know, muscles of silence, so to speak? I'm not sure. I guess, um, Naturally, I was a little more introverted and quiet, so Mm -hmm. that's part of silence. To be a virtue, it has to be ordered to something good because you could be silent because you're angry at somebody. You don't Mm -hmm. want to talk to them or just by your temperament. Um, So some might have more difficulty than others. Um, And I don't, I guess I don't really any recall any point or length of time, just kind of blends Mm -hmm. together and uh, you always have to work on it. There's always distractions and... um, and then since uh, not quite three years ago, I was uh, named as the assistant guest master. So that forced me to talk a little more with guests and meet with guests. And so then you kind of have to readjust to that, to not let that conversation and um, uh, contacts with the world uh, take over your thinking and, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Opening up some vents yeah. in the tent. <laughs> Just to let everybody know, that's what that was. Just talking about the virtues of silence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so uh, you gave us a talk recently, uh, yesterday on on St. Thomas Aquinas, which was interesting. Uh, Maybe a curveball for you, as you kind of put it, uh, with being a Benedictine monk. What are you you giggling about? I was just saying, thank you, David. Sure, Uh, oh yeah, (laughs) thank you. Thank you for doing it. Uh, But you you actually talked about how you, uh, that... Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas was a, was in the Benedictine monastery for yes. a little while. Yeah. I, w- I did not wa- I was not aware of that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, so as an oblate, uh, so five years old, he was given over to the Benedictines to be a monk, and he stayed there till he was about 14. Uh, like I said, the abbot kind of pers- suggested that he leave. There was a mutual understanding there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a practice recognized by St. Benedict that fathers could um, entrust their children to make that decision for them to become monks, and they grow up in that environment Mm -hmm. Uh, it just strikes me as a good example of the providence of god that he can you know he leads you on such an interesting path sometimes and you don't know why you're doing one thing to achieve some other greater good but um just to be to trust in him right yeah so when we get back we're gonna break into the man gear which is a monk's habit we're here with father nesbitt out of clear creek abbey everybody give us uh a manly we're on the lord's team The winning side, so So raise your your glass. glass. Cheers to Jesus.
And welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. Our special guest is Father Brother Nesbitt. I was trying to remember what your what your uh, nephews or your cousins said your first name. Rob. Yep. Father Robert Nesbitt. Yes. And most people do call me Father, so Father okay. Nesbitt's fine. Yeah. Okay. Good. It's just like I wish. So either one is fine, right? Yes. Brother is safer because one time I was out yeah. here for the work day and I called a brother, a father, so-and-so. Yes. And he's like, oh, I'm not a priest. Yeah. You can't tell any difference by our dress. Right. That one's a priest or one's not because we're all monks. So mm-hmm. we wear the monk's garb. I've made that mistake. Yes. Yeah. I actually asked one of the lay monks to give me a blessing, not knowing that he was a lay, lay, lay monk. Yeah. And he kind of laughed at me, which was... <laughs> Understandable. I mean, I would have laughed too. But uh, real quick, I have to uh, do some due diligence here. I I misspoke. It was a great opportunity for me to grow in humility. I misspoke. I said Andrew, and I meant Austin from uh, Broken Air Brewing. Brewing. Yeah. Yes. So uh, thank you, Austin. I apologize for uh, butchering the name. But and go go check them out because I really like. They've got a good setup over there. They do a lot of good beer. Yes, and they've been uh, 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 having a bunch of beer. Named after Clear Creek, obviously, which is cool. They have a yeah. Benedictine Monk Stout, I believe. Or mm-hmm. they, so yeah. anyway, go check them out. We're going to try to do a, a live show over there at some point. Okay, so the man gear for today is a monk's habit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, Father, have been wearing the monk's habit for 11 years now, yes. as, as you said. Um, can you? What is... I would like to talk to you about the theological significance of the habit and mm-hmm. ultimately how does that apply do those principles apply to the layman just in his everyday life? Yes. Um, so what is the, the purpose of the habit? The habit is to manifest that separation from the world and consecration to God. So it looks different than what other people wear. Back when monks first came into existence, you know, the beginning of the 4th century or so, they had a distinctive habit, and it's varied throughout the ages and different orders had different habits, but uh, it all they all manifest that um, otherness, and that's I guess the essential purpose of the habit mm-hmm. um, that you're now consecrated God. In the ancient times, the senators, the soldiers, the philosophers, they all had a distinctive dress. So it's just kind of a natural part of society that what you do, your profession, has a uh, exterior sign um, so the monks naturally took that up mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then also developed kind of a theological significances to that habit so the girdle which is just a belt um, a very long belt yes, a very awesome looking belt yeah it's long um, I don't know what they used back then but uh, I guess it comes from like the prophets wearing leather girdle you know a sheepskin a leather girdle or something and so then the fathers take that and say well uh it's a reminder of the virtue of purity you know to have a Mm -hmm. tight control over your reins i guess and Mm -hmm. then also that it's made of uh dead animal skin you know manifesting that the monk should be dead to the world and to the carnal desires Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have the tunic just the first covering um i don't think there's anything too special with that and that back in the day uh everybody wore uh, something similar that is they didn't wear hmm. pants most people didn't wear pants mm-hmm. um and then you have a 
scapular with a hood attached. So then the hood also was back then some a covering just for the elements, protecting from the elements. Um, but then that uh, also reminded the fathers of simplicity and innocence in that infants, I guess, had kind of uh, you cover their heads or have something like that. So um, it also could represent recollection. You put up your hood so that you don't gaze all around and to have that. Um, Blinders. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any prayers that you say when you put it on in the morning? Um, there are just, I mean, private prayers. When you're clothed and a man enters, he enters in his lay clothes. And then at some point, usually it's about a month or two, he receives the habit in a ceremony in the chapter room and there are prayers for each one of those. And so for the tunic, it's about putting on the new man, Christ. Um, and also before he's wearing, you know, his suit jacket and a tie and those are taken off. So it's, you know, being, uh, taking off the old man and putting on the new man, Christ. Uh, and then when they put on the bird, uh, the belt, uh, there's a prayer for chastity, uh, purity. And then the scapular uh, reminds one of the cross, bearing the yoke of Christ, the burden of Christ. And um, so there aren't any uh, official or mandated prayers, but I'm sure many monks just call to mind those prayers that were said when they first received the habit when they're putting it on. Mm-hmm. So the scapular, for those who are listening on the radio or on the podcast, it's not like, I think a lot of people think, uh, yes. you know, the scapular that they would wear um, just, you know, with the Carmelite, yes. the Carmelite brown scapular. Mm-hmm. But for you, it's a shoulder length. Yes. Well, yeah, it goes over your shoulders. There's a hood attached to it, and it reaches down to the ankles, more or less, on both sides. And there's two parts. There's nothing joining the front and the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the scapular that most people wear, the brown scapular, is just a vestige of that. So what they're doing is they're, in a way, participating in that Carmelite order, which was under the protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary with those privileges attached to it. Um, we have oblates of this monastery, people in the world or priests who want to be affiliated with our monastery, and we also give them a scapular. It's uh, just a black piece of leather. So those are just kind of reminders of the religious habit. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, the belt you're talking about reminded me a lot of the talk you gave us last night when you mm-hmm. you were talking about Saint August or Saint Thomas Aquinas. Yes, uh, and he had that after he chased off the woman mm-hmm. who was firebrand, right? Who was maybe trying to seduce him, depending on what legend you know you you believe in. Uh, he had the vision that he was being. The belt of chastity, is that yep, what you... Girded with uh, some ropes or some belt, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of similar to what the belt that you wear is supposed to represent. Yes. And then priests, all priests, uh, have prayers for their vestments. And when they put on the cincture, you know, they also pray for that virtue. Mm-hmm. So can you think of... I know this is kind of a hard question, but can you think of any ways that the everyday man can apply these basic principles of the habit. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like, I wear a suit to work. Um, I suppose I could kind of come up with my own significance to... I see. You know, the things that I wear. You know, I'm doing this to honor Mm -hmm. my clients, you know, or just whatever, you know, to take my own work more seriously. Do you have any any thoughts about what we could do? Uh, I guess... The main thing would be that as Catholic men, uh, you should look different 
perhaps not by your dress, but by manifesting the virtues of Christ. So um, in the workplace, you know, when your men start discussing things that are unchaste and you don't partake, you mm-hmm. know, might have to go on a tirade and uh, rebuke them. You could, but uh, just... I prefer you know, the flipping tables yeah. method. Okay, yeah, there feels you go. Good. <laughs> yeah. uh, you might get fired. So you also have to prepare, you provide for your family. Right, so, yeah. Um, but just things like that should mark you off as a Catholic man. Oh, he's Catholic, and that's why he doesn't you know, partake in this with us. Or um, I guess that might be the main thing. Or, you know, some might want to wear some external sign, the cross or something. I mean, that's, again, a it's not mandated or necessary, but that could be something that somebody could do or just wearing underneath your scapula and reminding that when you are putting on your other clothes that maybe this is this is what's most important to me and that's why it's closer to my heart, not mm-hmm. an exterior. Sure. Um, but Isn't it, there something about like the virtue of decorum here? Like, Can't we tie the virtue of decorum into this that, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's a reason why men should dress up for mass mm-hmm. you know, on yes, Sundays. Yeah, like. Yeah. There's a reason why yeah, you have a, a habit. There's mm-hmm. a reason why, you know, Dave dresses in a suit and tie going, working as a financial advisor. I mean, isn't that the virtue of decorum? Like in the state and life that you're in, you should dress appropriately? Yes, according to your state. And it's a sign of respect to the others you're dealing with. You know, they don't want to see your um, muscles. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's tough to hide them sometimes <laughs> in all humility. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. But... Yeah, another thing. I was the one that said it. You uh, didn't say it. Another thought that comes to mind is uh, this isn't something you wear, but something that maybe your office. If you have an office, how are you decorating your office? You know, because mm-hmm. it's, oh, yes, yeah. it's kind of a similar yeah. thing about you know when people come into your office, can they tell that it's a, your space is set apart? Mm-hmm. Just that idea. You know, how what kind of a things do you have on the wall? Yeah, yeah do you have mm-hmm. a picture of a lady or yeah? Yeah. A, um, I guess yeah. I just there's a funny story because I was told ahead of time about the habit and things like that. And uh, I went to public schools for the first two years of my life. Uh, and I wore a scapula to school until one day some kid on the playground made fun of me. And he said, oh, what are you, are you wearing a bra? And I, you know, it's like, no, this is a scapula. But then, you know, that kind of shamed me. And so I went back home to my mom and told my mom, oh, you know, this kid made fun of me. And so then I switched to the miraculous metal on a metal chain. But um, <laughs> I guess just, you know, uh, not being ashamed of, uh, the cross of Christ. I yeah. guess, to be a Christian. So mm-hmm. I always envision uh, JP 2s old picture that he has when he's working uh, in the. I think where was it? It was manual labor. I can't remember what he was doing, but he was in manual labor and he had his shirt off and he had his scapular on on still mm-hmm. um, in in front of you know all of his coworkers. Yeah, because one thing too, just on the level of clothes, maybe would be simplicity too. Um, mm. The habit, I guess, looks kind of complicated, maybe, but uh, we just wear this and we don't have other things we have a work tunic maybe um so we don't tear this up but mm-hmm. uh, so simplicity in dress yeah excellent when we get back we're going to jump into the conversation with father nesbitt the, the manly topic we're on the lord's team the winning side so raise your glass
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Enjoying Quiet Man Irish Whiskey. Talking with Father Nesbitt here at Clear Creek Monastery. We did not give any tasting notes to the whiskey, so I'll do uh, I'll do that real quick. I Actually, I'll, I'll let you if you want to. Uh, do you have any tasting notes on this? Yes, it is so good. Irish whiskeys are so underrated. Don't well, you think? Well, they get nobody, overshadowed by nobody the scotches. Ever talks about it. Yeah, it's like, but they are so good. They are. Um, this one to me is got some nice floral, like sweet mm-hmm. notes to it. Um, it's very smooth, super easy to drink. That's kind of like Irish whiskeys. They're never harsh. Mm-hmm. None of the ones that I've had. They're all easy to drink, really g- easy to start off on if you're just trying to like get into the whiskey drinking scene, mm-hmm. um, which is a great idea in my opinion. Um, but what do you think? Yeah, I was, I was thinking that that was hilarious. Uh, a lot of things I say. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's debatable. I think that uh, <laughs> I think that it's very lemony. Uh, I, I get I get some lemon to it. Is uh, lemony a word? Lemon-ish. Lemon-like. Lemon-like. Yeah, Father Father O'Brien will give me a hard time about that because I think I said something last time and I used I just said the word and ended it with e and he was like that is not a word. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Father Word, Brian. Words are hard. Yeah, words are words hard. Words are hard. They're hard. Uh, so we're here with Father Nesbitt. Uh, and so we're, we're going to talk about – we had a, uh, an episode recently on the vocation to the priesthood with uh, Father Pratt. Mm-hmm. He's the vocations director of the Diocese of Tulsa. Yes. Um, and so we, we discussed you know, the importance of, a, of, of your vocation, especially to the priesthood, how we need holy – Mm-hmm. Good, virtuous men yes. entering the seminary, even if, even if they're not sure that they should become a priest. You know, it's always good if it, yeah. it, to to go, and you're going to learn. Yes. Um, and it's mm-hmm. ultimately, if you're called to the vocation of marriage, it's only going to help you be a better husband. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what? Let's talk about the the process of the vocation of like. So I'm I'm a let's say I'm a 21 year old guy, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm considering joining. The well, monastery. Why don't you tell us how did you discern your vocation? That's a better. That's a better. Sure, I uh, went to Thomas Aquinas College in California. It's a very small, very Catholic school, so I was allowed in California. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Uh, they have Catholics there. Some. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a. Uh, so there, you know, I was allowed to. My faith was supported. It wasn't, a, you know, attacked. It wasn't a battle to do that. Um, so there's mass three or four times a day in confession before mm. and after and uh, holy hours every day and um, so it's a good environment to pray and so at some point I guess probably the beginning of my junior year I just naturally thought of what I was going to do with the rest of my life and so I just prayed well God what is your will and just took that uh, approach and it wasn't too long and uh, he wasn't too long in answering me so maybe the couple weeks a month and I just had a very strong desire to serve the Lord and be dedicated to him whereas before I guess just the summer before the vocation director of my diocese um, called me up because somebody gave me his name and then asked me I said well I don't think I'm called the priesthood you know I'm open I think I know uh, I'm where I'm supposed to be in my life and so just taking one step at a time yeah so after that then I thought well yes I'm called to serve the Lord in some way, you know, immediately comes to my mind the priesthood. Um, but then just continue to pray and reading about uh, the religious life. I thought, well, no, this is probably not right, ex- exactly the priesthood, but the religious life. So then that kind of started me on the path of 
uh, reading about it, consulting with uh, priests and other religious and visiting places. Um, so that's how it came about for me. It seems that here at Clear Creek, there are, you know, when you get here, you expect you have maybe certain expectations. And then when you when you go to mass, like if you go to high mass, you, you, all the monks, are, you know, come in and you realize there are a lot of young guys here. Yeah. Um, I, I like how many how many under 50 year olds? I mean, th- there's quite a few, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to count under if you said under 50. The, I mean, or, the vast majority are under 50. Yes, we had a group of founders that uh, came from France. Most of them are in their mid-60s. And then after that, we have a few 50s, a couple 50s or 60. And then um, so many, though, are 30, 20s, 30s. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tell people that you guys look more like a a fraternity than, uh, you know, what? because I think in people's minds, they think of, uh, you know, a monastery full of monks. They kind of think of old men, oh, sort yes, of like yeah, yeah. the saints that we know that were monks. They're always old in their pictures, you know. Yeah. So I think when you come out here and you see, wow, there's so much youth, yeah. you know, and it's just so, uh, I think it catches people off guard. Yes, uh, and partly too because many religious orders are kind of in a decline, so yeah. there aren't very many uh, vocations, but... Uh, Men and young men, as you know, probably are attracted to challenges and to a rigorous uh, and disciplined life. So uh, maintaining that has been uh, a blessing for us mm-hmm. from as community. So let's talk about that because, uh, you know, I think there's some vocations director, vocation directors might take the approach that, oh, you know, being uh, a priest is a wonderful life. You know, you'll have very few bad days, you know, and they make <laughs> it sound so easy. And it's like, well, I don't want that. That's right, you know, yeah. But I think Clear Creek is a good example of if you take the opposite approach and you say, this is going to be really hard. It's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Walk us through the day, just a, the routine sure. of your average day. Yeah, the average day would be you wake up at 4.50 um, and you get ready. A.M. A.M. Not Yeah, okay. 4.50 a.m. And so you get ready and go down to the church to pray before matins, the first office, which is at 515. Um, and then right after matins is the second office, lauds. And then right after lauds, we have low mass. And after low mass, we have 20 minutes of thanksgiving for receiving the Eucharist. And at that point, you might have some free time to go back up to your cell and make your bed and things like that. So it's about 740, you know, 730, 740. And then at 8 a.m. you have uh, the Office of Prime, after which we have breakfast, so about 8.30 or so. Um, and as, as you can already see, the hours, the canonical hours of prayers, which are singing the psalms and hymns and then uh, some official prayers, those give the structure to our day. And um, so after breakfast, you have a time of Lectio Divina, reading the scriptures, until High Mass at 10 a.m., uh, which is preceded by terse, so there's another office right before Mass. Um, after Mass, if you're still in your formation, you do studies, otherwise you do some work. And then you have another office, 12.50, right after is lunch. After that is our recreation time, which is uh, finished by another prayer of known. What do you do in your recreation time? Just talk. We walk around okay. our property and talk, unless it's raining, uh, we might walk in the cloister which is covered or so you guys don't have board games or uh not really there we do maybe have sometimes some brothers have played chess um, mm. takes a while 
So it's not very conducive to a shorter period of recreation. Speed chess. Yeah. yeah. If, if I I'll were a chess you, man, I'll, maybe I'll get you that. guys a chess clock. A few, maybe. a few of the monks would be happy. Okay, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> so then, after known is a period of work. Um, so that's you know knowns at about two fifty, uh, ends at about two fifty, and then you work until either five fifteen or five thirty, and then you go do your own mental prayer, or silent prayer before vespers at six. After vespers, then you have a period for. Uh, spiritual reading or study of theology, uh, reading the fathers. And then we have dinner, 7.30. After dinner, most of the monks say the rosary. Some might have said it at other times if they have duties after that. And then there's Compline, eight, uh, 8.30. And after that, you go to bread. Yeah, so mm-hmm. with, uh, I guess, after Compline, you can pray too. You have to be in bed by 9.45. So 4.50 to 9.45, broken up by... The Psalms, singing the Psalms. Um, so it's a it's a well ordered day, and it passes quickly because you're always um, going back to the church and praying the Psalms, and then doing some work, and then going back. So it's like you're filling your time in between praising God with study or work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's like one of the beautiful paradoxes of of Catholicism is is the idea of being obedient actually gives you so much freedom. Like you said, it, yeah. throughout the day, the day passes so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's because everything is so ordered that you don't have to worry or be concerned about outside things or like things that, are, that, that come in from the outside world or what am I going to do with my time at, yes. at seven? Yeah. You already know yeah. from now until eternity. You know, that is what, that is what everybody yeah. at, at Clear Creek will be doing. Yeah, I think somebody once asked Father Abbott, well... What do you do with your free time, or do you have free time? He says, "I don't have free time, but I'm free all the time." You know, he's nice. He's, yes, so. touche. Well, um, <laughs> so you, you know, you're you're living this life, and you pray in Latin. Mm-hmm. That was my question. I was trying to remember. I had it. Uh, why do you guys do your prayers in Latin? Uh, I guess just to preserve the tradition of the church, and then as Benedictines were. Uh, I guess our charism is to do the liturgy well, which implies Gregorian chant. So Gregorian chants in Latin, so keep Gregorian chant, keep Latin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then just also it connects you with so much of our history and tradition as the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, many of the fathers wrote in Latin, so then you can have a direct access to their works mm-hmm. as well, and that can nourish your prayer and spiritual life. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it seems like that uh, Latin, because it is the uh, the, the language, of, you know, the, the language of the church. Yeah. English is, is a tough language because it can be interpreted in so many different ways. Uh, Latin, at least, you have you understand exactly what Saint Thomas Aquinas is saying in the Summa because Latin isn't changing. Yeah, you right. know. So uh, when we get back, we're going to continue this conversation here with about 40 of our friends at Clear Creek Abbey in Holbert, Oklahoma. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan and Father Brother Nesbit. Brother Father Nesbit. We're drinking a whiskey that I think has really lived up to its reputation. Uh, what is this? what is the reputation? I've heard good things about Quiet Man whiskey. Okay. And I am here today to affirm those good things that I have heard. It is very good. Um, we're talking with Father Nesbitt about the vocation of the religious life, uh, specifically living as a Benedictine monk. Um, Father, one of the questions that has come to us from the audience, which I think is a great question, is what about the beard? I don't. I ha- Are there any monks... Are you guys allowed to have beards? You don't have a beard. Here, we are not allowed to have beards. Other monasteries, they do have beards. So, history of that is uh, mostly unknown to me. I know that even by the probably 800s, there are kind of regulations to not have beards. I've heard people say it's a Roman thing, perhaps. Hmm. Um, cleanliness, uh, orderliness, I'm not sure. Some have also... Maybe tied it to priests, uh, the clerical state, having more priests as monks. Uh, for a long time, priests weren't allowed to have beards or mustaches or anything like that. Um, perhaps because they had to consume the host, drink the chalice. Uh, I'm not mm. sure. Um, so here it's just the rule. You shave every day. And uh, some monasteries, they grow beards. Yeah. So... How often do you guys have to cut your hair? You all have the same buzz uh, cut. Once a month. And so that's the tonsure, um, another exterior sign of consecration mm. to God. Yeah. So the East Eastern monks did this, just shave the head, uh, which comes from the secular world where they shaved the head of slaves. So then the monks took that up as a sign, I guess, of being slaves of God uh, and humility. Yeah. And then that eventually worked its way into the Roman church where the priests all had to have a tonsure before they entered, you know, their orders. So, um, Do you guys cut your own hair? Yes. That is one of the monks or two of the monks cuts all the others' hair. Okay, so you don't buzz your own head. Nope. But yeah, yeah, somebody's there and does it for you. Nice. Okay, so what is the difference between a parish priest and a Benedictine monk? Yes, the parish priest is called to um, lead the people of God. I guess he has a specific people, a portion of people of God assigned him, and so he gives them sacraments, teaches them, um, leads them to holiness. The Benedictine monk is separated from the world, so his job is to pray for uh, the church and for the kingdom of coming of the kingdom of God. And so normally... uh, they don't have that care of souls. And so we here don't do parish work because we're contemplative monks. Some Benedictine monasteries might send a few of the priests to do that, um, but their main work is prayer. And then those hours of the day that I spoke about, that's kind of their focus. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But not cloistered. Uh, no, I guess we're, we are cloistered in a way. Uh, anytime you leave the enclosure, you get the blessing of Father Abbott, and he's the one who gives you permission or not to leave okay. the enclosure. But it's not the same as nuns, where some nuns can't ever leave their enclosure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. So we, yeah, because we're separated from the world, we have an enclosure and a cloister, but and we try not to go out of that as uh, best we can. Yeah. So you mentioned that 
the parish priest has, you know, he's got his flock, specific mm-hmm. souls mm-hmm. that he's looking after. One analogy that kind of comes to mind is the whole um, blessed the the woman who never had any children. You know, she had she has more children than the woman. You know, do you think that there's a comparison here? Because you guys, you don't have like these people that you're looking yes. after, but in a way. Your prayers, you know, you're praying for the world, mm-hmm. yes. right? You know, I mean, so we, you know, I live here in the diocese. I feel like people of the diocese of Tulsa benefit in a special way from mm-hmm. you guys being here. Yes. Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I guess that's one of the uh, purposes of Monster to provide kind of spiritual power for the for the church for those who are out there doing the work. They need the grace um, of God to do anything worthwhile. And so then those who are dedicated to God and uh, serving him are going to bring that down and be conduits in some unknown way to whoever God wants to uh, give his grace to. Mm -hmm. So that's always part of it, intercessory prayer, and then just the life of holiness itself is going to bring God's blessing on the world. Um, So it is uh, apostolic. Every, the Pope has said, we all have to be missionaries. Uh, The way we do that is by praying and striving after holiness. Um, and then those official prayers of the church, the hours, they're for the church, you know, so it's for everybody. Those who can't be praying, we're praying for them. Okay, so here at Clear Creek, and in Benedictine orders, I, I assume in general, there are two types of monks. There's the choir monks, like mm-hmm. yourself, who are typically priests. Yes. And there's the lay brothers, mm-hmm. who typically are not priests. Mm-hmm. Can they be priests? No. No, they cannot be priests. L- lay brothers. Okay, so if one is discerning the religious life, mm-hmm. how... How do you decide? How do you discern which of those types of monks God's calling you? Yeah, I guess there's uh, many ways, but um, the primary call is that call to the religious life to be separate from the world, to be dedicated to prayer, and um, after that, maybe as a good addition, some will be ordained priests, and that process is for the individual entering. You know, does he? think he has a vocation or not. Those who don't have a vocation to the priesthood, then they'll just be brothers. Um, and there are indications of that. Some might not want to do the studies necessary or learn Latin, or some prefer to do more work with their hands than the longer hours in the choir. So it's kind of up to the personal dispositions of the candidate and then also the decision of the superiors. You know, would he make a good priest? Do we need uh, more brothers or priests? So there's kind of a back and forth, as with any vocation. You know, mm-hmm. you might feel you have a calling, but uh, in the end, it has to be the church that accepts and approves that. So you guys, you're all like phenomenal singers, speaking of choir. Like, what if someone's saying, I, I feel very called to religious life, but I'm the worst singer on the planet. Is that an indication that maybe you're called to be a lay brother? Like Perhaps, you just haven't yeah. been given the, the talents, you know, that... Yeah, well, you can work on it. We'll see. God's uh-huh. grace and your efforts might produce something uh, acceptable. Sure, so, sure. Um, yeah. What about, we've been saying the word abbot a lot. Maybe people don't under, know what the abbot is. Mm-hmm. Um, explain that to us. Sure, the abbot is the head of the monastery, and abbot comes from Abba, father. So he's the father of the monastery and takes care of all the monks. And so he's the superior and... Um, monastic tradition, the Benedictine tradition especially, has given the abbot the signs, uh, insignia of a bishop because he, in a way, holds the place of the bishop in this monastery. 
he has the jurisdiction over his monks and what goes on in his monastery and, and not the bishop. So he has the crozier and the ring and the pectoral cross and the mitre to indicate that he is the shepherd of this particular monastery. But mm-hmm. he's not a bishop. He's just he's also only ordained a priest. Um, and then because obedience plays such a large role in the Benedictine life, you need somebody to stand in the place of Christ, in the place of God, to obey, um, just to gain that merit of obedience. Sure. And so all all both lay mothers or lay brothers and uh and choir brothers are all under the vow of obedience to the abbot. Yes. So speaking of the evangelical councils, you guys have the the what I presume are the ordinary ones, poverty, mm-hmm. chastity, obedience, but you also take a vow of stability, is that correct? Correct. Can you talk about what that means? That means that you vow to stay in this community until you die and uh, there can be exceptions. Um, the main one would be when the monastery grows by the grace of God and needs to found a new monastery, then the abbot will send a group, and their obedience kind of trumps that vow of stability. Um, and then there's the lesser part of, like I said before, remaining in the enclosure, not going out into the world, not seeking occasions to um, return home or things like that. So we also don't visit our family um, they come here and visit us uh, a few times a year. Do you ever get, like, what if they're on their deathbed? Do you get, is that kind of like the one exception? Yes. So a a wedding or the death um, of an immediate family member is a a usual exception to that rule where they visit home or Mm -hmm. attend that. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, We only have a few minutes left. Is there any other questions that you have specifically? I want to cut you off. What is your favorite thing about being a Benedictine monk? I guess uh, singing the praises of God all day long, mm-hmm. uh, participating in the liturgy. Yes. So you have all this uh, rigid prayer life. Like, do you have how much time do you have of just your own prayer life? Like, you know, you're, you're praying with everybody else, but how much of like non unstructured unstructured prayer? prayer? Yeah. So that's about. There's a mandated half an hour a day of that. Um, I would say the rosary in a way can be that uh, you're on your own, you're praying it individually, uh, following the mysteries. Uh, and then whatever time you can carve out before matins, some, you know, get down there quickly after 4.50. So maybe from 5 to 5.15 you're praying. And then after Compline, you have to be in bed by 9.45. So maybe 20 minutes after um, that time. And then I guess the ideal, though, of the monk is to pray always as our Lord exhorts us in the gospel. So to always be attentive to God and coming back to that, whether it's just a short prayer here and there, you know, um, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, I love you, save souls, things like that. So to make your whole day a life of prayer and whatever you do being offered up to God as uh, a work done in his service. So that's excellent. You should pray always. Without ceasing. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Father Nesbitt, for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, We've been drinking The Quiet Man today. Our our man gear was The Habit. It's been an awesome episode. We've got another evening here at Clear Creek Abbey. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass and cheers to Jesus. Jesus.